Welcome to episode 115 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Heidi ho John. So for our, our podcast topic this week, I think we should explore the, the future of food. There are, there are a few things that are more personal, intimate, or important than what we put in our bodies every day. And given the breadth and depth of this topic, I'm sure we'll only get to touch on a few areas uh, today on the intersection of food and science and technology. But I'd really like to start with the idea of food as fuel. This is, this is a growing trend, especially one that I, I notice in the design and engineering uh, fields. It's very popular. Uh, it's where, where we're trying to optimize just about everything. We're also trying to optimize our, our food intake. And there's, there's one product that, uh, uh, for example, that, that really takes this to the nth degree, which is called Soylent, uh, which is un- unfortunately named after a, uh, a, a science fiction product uh, called Soylent Green that was, that was a film in, uh, I think, the, the 70s. And we'll just not go into what goes into Soylent Green, but suffice it to say, Soylent is uh, meant to be this all-in-one nutritious shake that very busy people, I'm assuming engineers and designers can be very busy, can just consume this a couple times a day and get all the nutrients that they need and you can mix other things into it uh, and it becomes your one-stop, you know, one-stop food item uh, so you don't even really need to think about what you're consuming. You can get back to coding or designing or gaming or whatever it is that, that you're doing. Now, there are so many other aspects to food besides it being fuel that, you know, this this particular avenue for, for the future of food has never really enticed me. I, I really like too many things about eating to give up, you know, the presentation, the texture, the flavor, you know, all of these, you know, all of these items and, and end up sucking uh, a, a gray liquid through a straw. It's just not, not really my thing. Dirk, have you ever even considered having, uh, you know, a, an optimized food intake that's more like a uh, nutritious shake than a meal? <laughs> so, you know, I've, I, I did the green smoothie thing for a little while, so I'll say the answer is yes. I mean, I have, I have considered um, that. I've even tried that sort of approach, at least for a, a proportion of, of the foods that I eat. Um, you know, I mean, listen, for a long time, and, and I'm sure it goes back even farther than this, but for a long time in the United States, we had the food pyramid. And the food pyramid was sort of an early attempt to um, improve from a health and wellness perspective um, the, the way that we were eating, to try and give some guidance to people um, so that the, the totality of their intake was was more healthful and and more to their benefit. Now, there were a couple problems with that. One, the food pyramid was broken. Um, it was it was based to some degree on a a financial aspect of um, there being a lot of grains, a lot of carbohydrate based foods that were being produced that superficially people thought were healthy ish, um, but but generally weren't. So the food pyramid was kind of taking us taking us in the wrong direction to begin with, but even beyond that is that people, um, you know, to, to some large degree weren't interested in it. 
Um, and that comes back to, you know, issues of biology and psychology. I mean, biologically, the foods that are produced in our culture are uh, oftentimes optimized to create um, addictions, are optimized to um, deliver to us ingredients that we will um, demand more and more of and um, so that we spend money to, to create profits for those companies that produce them. They're motivated by the profits, not by our health, um, and they are incentivized to, to make us addicted to things. So, um, you know, they've, they've, certainly, they've certainly done so. Um, and that's, that's for the most part, uh, really been unhealthy. Uh, and then getting into the psychology of it, you know, on the physical level, just, you know, I eat a candy bar and biologically I, I get good feelings from, from it. And so I want more, but on the psychological aspect, you know, going, going to, um, both some of the marketing again from, from these companies who are manipulating us biologically, they're manipulating us psychologically as well. But also from the standpoint of being a very wealthy nation, um, on one hand, but also one with very stratified levels of of um, of society. On the other, is that the food has has come to carry a real psychological weight and power and importance for us on on both uh, macro levels of certain foods and certain ways of eating, you know, identifying um, success, identifying confidence, identifying positive characteristics so that we're pursuing those foods um, for, you know, for our own sense of, of identity um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, among others. So, yeah, I, I don't want to go, go too far into this without giving you a chance to, to respond, but, um, you know, this, this Soylent as sort of the the most extreme example, and I think there's even more extreme examples now, although Soylent was one of the the pioneers of this space. I mean, they're going completely in the opposite direction and saying, look at don't don't let these these companies um, continue to manipulate your biology and your psychology with a lot of crap that's actually really bad for you. Let's distill this down to something that's that's healthy for you and is going to save you some money. It's going to save you probably, you know, make, make your life longer compared to eating other things. Um, and so as, you know, as a mechanism of taking our society that is, you know, um, asleep and, uh, the, the unwitting, um, ongoing victim of these, you know, corporate interests, um, of manipulating, you know, manipulating what we're doing to ourselves. Uh, it's, it's good that, that we have these, these things are trying to reframe the issue, but in the long term, of course, it needs to be a balance. We, it needs to be an, and where in general we are eating in ways that are healthful, positive, productive, and it is also appropriate in healthy ways for food to be something that is a joy and, uh, something that really enhances the aesthetics of our life. So, Again, as always, you know, humans follow this pendulum racing from one extreme to another. Um, you know, the, the, the horrendous, um, you know, sugar, fat, salt-laden foods um, that we've been getting from, from our capitalist culture for many decades are one horrible extreme on this pendulum. And another, you know, probably suboptimal <laughs> extreme on the pendulum are things like Soylent. And eventually we'll get to, to the middle. It probably will just be decades, not years, uh, before that's fully realized. Yeah, that's a good breakdown of the uh, food industrial complex that we've got going in, uh, um, you know, in our country. I think 
one of the books that, that I read on that, I believe it's called Fast Food Nation, was, was uh, quite an expose just about the modern food industry and, and how it's, you know, more or less uh, been created, you know, much as you described, to be this, this uh, entity that, you know, sucks money out of people, you know, to their uh, detriment of their health. I, I think there's, there's an interesting turn that's happening in terms of food and science coming together in, in our, uh, you know, in, in our modern era where we are trying to get certain benefits out of food that are, um, you know, slightly different dependent on, you know, the, the type of food you're consuming. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I'm very much an avid coffee drinker. So that particular, uh, liquid for me is, is not just about waking up, you know, it's about the whole experience, but also trying to derive a little bit of mental focus at the beginning of the day. So into this realm of, um, consumption comes, you know, all kinds of crazy concoctions, whether you're talking about, uh, your sodas and Mountain Dew or your, uh, Red Bull from, uh, uh, you know, sort of the energy drink side of it. And I noticed in this in our studio uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I think uh, one of our guys had had this product called True Brain, which apparently was designed by some neuroscientists to give sort of the optimal dose of uh, nutrients so that if you have your midday uh, drowsiness, you could go and suck down a, a, uh, a you know, a, a can or a uh, container of true brain and will give you certain nutrients so you can be focused for the rest of the day. But, but it's very much in the same lines as, uh, Soylent, which is it's, it's almost as if we're injecting ourselves with certain substances, uh, almost like we're, we're race cars and we need a certain, uh, you know, amount of energy to keep moving and to be productive. And, you know, frankly, those products all have that same uh, negative connotation for me in that it's not really a food experience anymore. It feels more like medication and uh, uh, fuel without any of the pleasures of, of, um, of, of the food. Um, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, and, and I did want to uh, build on this point that you made regarding all of the uh, industrial food production that we have in the United States, um, we see a counter-narrative being created by uh, sort of sustainable food, food movements. And it's interesting to me, you, you didn't mention, you know, uh, beef and burgers and steaks as, you know, uh, the uh, sort of the status symbols of, of um, you know, a certain kind of eating. But I think you hinted at that in your in your description. And, and I've noticed that in this, in this counter narrative, there are, um, certain, uh, vegetable based or plant based alternatives, uh, which ironically are being shaped to, uh, mimic beef. Uh, so you're taking this, you know, plant-based food and you're making, um, you're making the equivalent of burgers out of it. And some do that more successfully than others. There's, a uh, there's a company 
called Impossible Foods that uh, claims to have created a a very compelling uh, plant-based burger uh, that's going to be sort of the next generation of this. Dirk, what do you make of that from a psychological perspective that we're, you know, so we have all these desires to have healthy eating, um, but at the same time, we just, we can't let go of the animal protein part of it. I, I think there's an interesting psychology to that. Yeah, you know, I mean, on the animal protein side, I think they taste good. Um, you know, I, I spent a year as a vegetarian when I was in graduate school, and um, it was broken. You know, ultimately, it was broken not because I I had to have the meat, but because I had little children, and I I just found it increasingly difficult to to maintain at that time in the 1990s the uh, you know sort of the the vegetarian lifestyle. Um, in that context and, and, and with a busy life. But once I got back into the meat, boy, I sure did like it. I was like, geez, geez Louise, you know, this is, uh, this is pretty nice. And I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be going back anytime soon. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited about the potential for meat replacement. I mean, at a certain level, you know, evolutionarily speaking, the, the future better manifestation of humanity as a species is one that does not kill and torture, and it is torturous the way we treat them, other creatures uh, for provision of our sustenance, particularly when that sustenance is essentially just for the luxury of enjoying something that tastes better. Um, so even now as I continue to eat meat, I am um, – disturbed by the fact that I am eating it and having that pleasure in doing so uh, at the expense um, of, of another life form um, that is suffering in ways that, that um, I, I consider ab abhorrent. So uh, I think it's extremely exciting that we could get to the point where there's no, no reason, no excuse to be eating, um, to be eating real meat. Uh, that we have that we have something different, um, you know. Going back to your your mentioning of of the product True Brain, that that really is getting at uh, an important psychological thing, namely um, very focused and intentional eating. And what I mean by that is one of the failings of the food pyramid or the general oh eat these things to be more healthy is that it, it's hard for people to really wrap their heads around and to make trade offs in the moment because. The be more healthy thing is so abstract and it's so out in the future. You know, what does the be more healthy mean? I mean, that's going to matter in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. It's going to matter at some point and years or decades out into the future. And so, you know, while there's times you're like, hey, I'm going to eat my vegetables. I'm going to be, I'm going to eat more healthy. It, it's really difficult to, to, especially in the environment we're in now uh, with, you know, corporate interests, you know, driving us to things that are, are, are more superficially enjoyable um, in the moment, it's really tough to get on board and make big lifestyle changes. But if we can start to look at eating as having a direct relationship to living, um, then it becomes really interesting. You know, then you say, okay, you know, um, I mean, for an extreme example, like, you know, okay, I've got my SAT test today. So I'm going to take true brain because I want the thing that's going to make my brain the best. And, um, you know, if, to take a totally different example, right? Um, if, if you have a, a night of lovemaking planned, you say, you know, I'm going to take, you know, true stud <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, that's going to really like, that's the right food for the right thing, basically. And, and so I think there's a real future there in not, again, you know, Soylent, again, is sort of this generic thing. It's, I think the future is in um, meals, is in food choices, 
that are really optimized around specific behaviors and tasks and 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 they're balancing um, being as perfect for the task as possible, but with the enjoyment, the aesthetic, the aesthetic aspects. I mean, again, the the whole Soylent strategy. It's it's just an extreme move that definitely makes improvements in some ways, but but certainly certainly fails in some others. And I think the it's the more focused, task based approach to eating choices that will will eventually win the day, albeit probably a ways down the road. Yeah, I think uh, you know I want I want to pick up on that and and uh, talk a little bit about how we get food delivered because I think there's a lot of tremendously interesting things happening in in that sphere as well and sort of speaks to uh, your you know uh, highlighting the the optimal meal for the optimal um, you know a, approach to what you're doing. On the food delivery side, I'm particularly fascinated by the the 3D printing of food. Um, so, so you may have an idea of you know what you want to eat, um, and you have the ingredients in a set of capsules, and and so now you can get the uh, the right meal at the right time, and then presumably have it you know pre proportioned so you can have the exact amount, and then it's printed out for you. Uh, and and delivered in that fashion. So so the ingredients are fresh, and so you're you're getting exactly you know the amount you need without you know this horrible waste, which you know happens all the time inadvertently when you're talking about uh, you know delivering food to the grocery store and then from the grocery store to home, and then you forgot that you had a bunch of you know meat in the um, in the, in the food bin somewhere in your fridge and you forget about it and you end up throwing out, you know, like $10 worth, um, every week because you forget what's in there. So, so this is, this is a really highly optimized delivery system. Um, and you know, it's sort of in its nascent stages. I was, I was looking at one 3d food printer called, uh, Foodini, which is, you know, in development and is scheduled to be shipping in, in 2015. But, it seems to me like there's a lot of promise in in making the delivery system uh, that much more tailored to what people need at the moment. Dirk, what are your thoughts on the on the, the 3D printing of food? Uh, we'll see. We'll see about the 3D printing of food. I mean, I mean, another you know macro issue, of course, is is global warming and and the the environmental challenges from burning fossil fuels. So, you know, a century from now, we will no longer have um, trucks uh, driving from one state to the next, one destination to the next, planes flying, you know, with with food. Um, as long as those type of vehicles are burning fossil fuels to accomplish those trips, either. There's going to be a, a massive change in technology that enables um, transportation of of goods that aren't really required, that are really really surplus and luxury for for the most part, um, that, that enables them to be transferred and traveled around for our whims. So we can have you know or things I like. I mean I like um, Shark brand sriracha from from um you know southeast asia i like arizona gunslinger hot sauce from arizona right. i like i like alaskan wild salmon right i mean um it, there's going to have to be a a massive change in how vehicles are powered for us to continue having having those kind of foods will that be realized or not i don't know i'm not enough of an expert in in power the fact we don't see anything um certainly isn't a good sign after a century of 
burning the hell out of oil. Um, and, you know, even longer than that, if we were thinking about the burning of coal, which, which preceded it. So there could be these other macro things that are sort of forcing us down a path of, you know, 3D printed food. That it, it, it needs to be something akin to astronaut ice cream as opposed to akin to the real solid foods that we have today. Um, you know, wh what does that look like? I don't know. And I think... I think the main determining factor is going to be are we able to to transport luxury goods hither and thither um, as we do today? And that's going to be a question of power generation and, and, and who knows, who knows? Yeah, I think there's uh, so much happening on, on this forefront. Obviously, we can only spend uh, uh, a little bit of time on it. The, the, the last, the last um, technology I wanted to raise is, you know, part of the uh, molecular gastronomy movement, which really, I think, um, sort of begat some of this interest in, you know, the, the technology and, and food industries coming together. But I had a very interesting meal uh, in Los Angeles a couple of years ago at the Bazaar, um, uh, which is uh, headed by Chef Jose Andres. I'm uh, sure I didn't get that name right, but uh, no, you, you did. Me. I've, oh, did. Yeah, I? You, you did. Yeah, I've eaten at one of his restaurants in Vegas as well. Keep going. Keep going. And and there's there's this very future forward look to the food they present there, where where food is uh, you know liquefied and and the experience is is very postmodern insofar as all of the dishes that that I tried came out and they were like series of these little. Um, these these little capsules basically of 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 liquids that tasted exactly like they were described whether it's you know some um some veal reduction or some you know fancy coconut dessert but that they're all in these little these little balls um that are, that are presented in in unique ways so I don't know if molecular gastronomy and sort of this derivation of, you know, taking taking food to the nth degree where it becomes more of a science experiment than uh, uh, the kinds of uh, cooking that we're used to. But just the presentation of that made me feel uh, as if I was eating food from the future. Dirk, when, when you ate at uh, at the restaurant in Vegas, did, did you get the same impression or or am I crazy? <laughs> Uh, no, no. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. And, and this, how I'm going to answer this is going to sort of bring it full circle. Um, it was one of those things where I came out, I said, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it tasted kind of good and it was super interesting and stimulating. But if I could go back and, and have this meal or something else, I said, boy, I would probably to spend $700 for two people or whatever, you know, asinine uh, total the bill was, uh, I would, I would just like to have a nice juicy steak and a great bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is <laughs> as old school as it gets. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, they haven't figured it out yet. I mean, they're not, they're not there. I mean, the whole, you know, the, the price point for preparation and the, the, the total sort of quality of the experience when you're considering taste and, um, you know, sort of end satisfaction of the diner, it's got a long way to go, but it's certainly interesting and, and, and certainly seems to offer one possible future of food, uh, but who knows what that will really end up looking like. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, 
So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Or email me, Dirk, at goinvo.com. So that's it for episode 115 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Bye.